Tonight's reading is from the book of Psalms, Psalm 4, on page 544 of the Pew Bibles. Answer me when I call to you, O my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. How long, O men, will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. In your anger, do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. Many are asking, who can show us any good? Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. You have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abound. I will lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Amen. Well, good evening and welcome to, to Bloomfield tonight. Can I encourage you to turn with me to back to Psalm 4? Uh, you'll find it on page 544 of, of the Pew Bibles that are in front of you. It's lovely to see some visitors uh, with us this evening. If you're here um, looking for an evening service or with family or friends, it's lovely to have you with us. And can I encourage you to stay around afterwards for a cup of coffee here in the, in the main sanctuary here after the service? We have, uh, if you're visiting, just been working our way through uh, the different Psalms, particularly of Book 1, and we've now reached Psalm 4. So let me uh, encourage you to keep a Bible open and let me pray for us as we come uh, to God's word tonight. Let's pray. Father, we pray tonight as we come to your word, we pray that we would see wonderful things in your law, that, Lord, it would revive our souls, give light to our eyes and guide our path, we pray. But most especially, Father, we pray tonight that we would see more of who you are and that that would help us to live for you and love you and follow after you, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you remember uh, the following news story back in August of 2014 when a highly controversial and very debatable and very public police raid took place on the mansion estate of Sir Cliff Richard. It was captured live as different media outlets had been tipped off about this ongoing in advance of the raid. And so what you had was TV helicopters above the mansion of Sir Cliff Richard uh, circulating, filming the police raid. You remember it back in August, just two years, three years ago. The police raid caused much distress and anguish for the singer, uh, but most of all what it did was cast anguish and dispersion over his reputation and who he was. And what this news story highlights was the ease with which a reputation can be easily damaged, can be easily misaligned, I suppose, with lies and accusations that can cast long shadows over a person and their being, particularly devastating if they're innocent. And as you come to Psalm 4 tonight, we're not given much about the background to it. Some think that it's a follow-on from Psalm 3, and that's plausible, I think. But if you look at verse 2, what you have here is David 
reputation, being undermined, damaged. And so he says in verse 2, how long, O men, will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you damage, cast shadows over who I am, and turn it into shame? David seems to be suffering innocently here through the actions and lies of men who are bringing his glory, his name, his reputation into shame. And perhaps tonight you're here and you know what that feels like or you've experienced that in in your own life. Maybe the quality of your work has been questioned. Maybe the amount of work that you've done, he doesn't do a full shift. Perhaps expenses called into question. Perhaps lies have circulated about you because of your position in the job you hold. Perhaps you suffered, felt the injustice of being accused. Maybe you felt abandoned out on a limb, on your own like a small boat on a rough waters. And you know exactly what David is saying here because you're saying, my glory, my reputation is in tatters. It's in shame. And the question is, as Christians, is what do you do when that happens Because here David is is expressing these hurts, my glory into shame. And do you fight fire with fire? Do you begin your own spin campaign of lies and false news, as it were? Do you defend yourself when your reputation's on the line and being questioned? Tonight we see from Psalm 4 how David navigates this issue in his life. And the first thing he does is verse 1, which won't be uncommon to you, is that he cries out. He prays to God in verse 1. Do you see it? Answer me when I call to you, O Lord, O my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. David calls out to God. He prays to God, but he prays in a very particular way. Do you notice how he prays? He prays appealing to God's character. And it's a specific thing he he prays to regards to God's character. It is his righteousness. Righteousness means God always does what is right and good and just. His righteousness of character. And so David prays to God, believing that as he prays to him, God will do what is right. God will not act or say anything that is false or evil or wrong. The character of God is that he is righteous in one particular aspect. And as you think about that, there is something immensely encouraging and assuring here about the character of God, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Remember that simple verse. (laughs) But that's the way he is. That the way God is yesterday, he will be today, and he will be going into the future. There is no openness with God. It's not as if he's open to change in character or way or pattern. He doesn't do that. God doesn't change. Do you remember that in Malachi when we were looking at that book? How God acts, how he promises, who he is, will be the same going into the future. What he promised in the past, he will continue to make out for good into the present and the future. This means that when we pray to God, we are praying to the one that doesn't flit between good and evil. He doesn't go from one emotion to another. Before I came out this evening, I was um, finishing off my sermon as I normally do, and the kids were going bonkers downstairs. And I can tell you this, I flitted between peaceful to absolute mental. 
And I probably have to go home later tonight and go, I'm sorry, family, for losing it. But you know something with God? He, he doesn't do that. We're, we're used to flitting, aren't we? Between emotions. Between sometimes your wife or husband or girlfriend or boyfriend will often say to you, you're not the same person you were. God is never like that. He never changes in character. And the wonderful thing about that is, is that when you come to pray to him, like David does here, he says, answer me, O God. O my righteous God the one who does what is right, the one who does what is good and just, always, never changes. And so when we come to pray, that is an amazing reassurance to us. But it's also a warning to us, because how you understand who God is then makes a difference in how you relate to Him. And so if you have a wrong understanding of who God is, and we all have a flawed and broken understanding sometimes of who He is, but that will impact the way that we relate to Him. If you think God is like a slot machine where you put it in and you expect good out, that is a dangerous way to live your life because he's not like that according to the scriptures. And David reminds us here of the beauty of replying, appealing in prayer to a God who does not change. I want to show you an example of this in, in Daniel, of how Daniel prays appealing to the character of God, just as an example. So turn with me uh, to Daniel chapter 9. Uh, with, can I hear you flick now? Stay with me. Daniel chapter 9. And you'll find it on page 894, keeping your finger in Psalm 4. And on page 894 of the Pew Bibles, you have Daniel's public confession on behalf of the people. And he prays in a particular way. But notice how he appeals to different aspects of God's character as he prays in chapter 9 of Daniel and verse 4. Here's what he says. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We've been wicked and we have rebelled. We've turned away from your commands and laws. We've not listened to your servants and the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Verse 7, Lord, you're righteous, but this day we've covered with shame. The men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem and all Jer Jerusalem, both near and far in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. O oh Lord, we and our kings, our princes, our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord God is merciful and forgiving, even though we've rebelled against him. Do you notice in those verses that Daniel appeals to God's covenant love? His, his covenant love that continues. He appeals to his righteousness in verse 7, and then he appeals to his merciful and forgiving God. And this is the idea that David takes up in the Psalms. He appeals to the character of God, just like Daniel does here. But the key thing is, if you don't know who he is from the scriptures, how can you make this appeal? How can you confess and appeal to God's character in prayer? And we see here in Psalm 4 that David, in the middle of this situation, understood something of God being righteous and he appeals to this aspect of God's character in his prayers, knowing that God will always do right. He will always be just and good. But notice, and don't take away from it, the anguish in David's prayer to God. 
He says in verse 1, answer me when I call to you. Give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me. There's an honesty, isn't there, in David's prayer life with, with his father, God. And more or less, these verses are saying, when he says, give me relief from my distress, if you want to use a common term, probably his back is against the wall. He's in a corner, a tight corner. And David says to me, give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me. With his back against the wall, David brings this situation to the Lord. James Montgomery Boyce says this about the psalm. It is a psalm which reflects the anguish of the innocent and oppressed or the righteous sufferer, for it addresses fundamental experiences, the experience of injustice, suffering, and oppression. And David's response tonight is to cry out, to plead to the God who is righteous. And the question tonight that probably I've been thinking through is this. Can you identify with David? When your back is against the wall, you're in a tight corner, pray to God, appeal to his character of love, of mercy, his justice, hatred of sin, his holiness, his sovereign power and plans, appealing to the character of God because he doesn't change. This takes us to the second block of verses in verses two to five. If someone has wronged you, called your reputation or work into question, if they've caused you distress, if they have caused you to have that sense where your back is to the wall, what's your response? What do you like at work? I know a few of you are doctors, teachers. Some of you are retired, so you're going, I'm off the hook here. But how do you respond when somebody questions your reputation, your background? Most of us will act and behave like a cornered rat, won't we? We'll come out fighting. Nobody's going to tell me that I'm not, my quality of work isn't up to scratch. We come out fighting. We want to get even, don't we? We may even want to defend ourselves, want to relieve it, relieve the distress, which, which is quite normal, particularly if you're innocent. But David here in verses 2 to 5 speaks to his enemies. Now, it's hard to know whether he's saying this in his mind as a hypothetical, this is what I would say to them, or whether he gets the opportunity to do this. But he's in conversation here with his enemies. And when you read it, it's almost words of wisdom for his enemies, which is quite bizarre. And what he does here is, in the first instance, he challenges them in verse 2. He says to them, How long, O men, will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and false gods and seeking after them? David calls a spade a spade, doesn't he? It's as if David is saying to him, How long are you going to be like this? Delusions you love, lies you love, and you run after false gods. How long are you going to keep this up? David links their behavior with their love of lies, delusion, and the running after false gods. And so often that is what happens when somebody wants to take down someone else's reputation, isn't it? They run after lies, delusions, and false gods. And David challenges this way of life in, in these oppressors. But he also reminds them of a biblical principle in verse 3. He reminds them that God has set apart the godly for himself. See it there in verse 3? Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. There's a biblical principle here <clears throat> that God has called the people to himself. 
who he has set apart as his own. That means that he has committed to his people, made promises to them, he's bound to them, what you might covenanted to them. Why? Because the Lord has set him apart for himself. <laughs> That's exactly what happens in Exodus 19. When God says to the people, out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession, my segula. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a, royal, a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites, God setting apart a people for himself. And it's not just an Old Testament thing, into the New Testament. What do you have in 1 Peter? Same similar language when he says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. And so if God has set apart the godly for himself, surely that means that he looks after his own, that he cares for his own. I don't know if you're familiar with that term of looking after your own. I think we've quite a negative connotation with that nowadays. For example, when certain jobs or promotions are given to family members within politics, even in church life, ah, they're looking after their own. It's a negative, isn't it? Or when trade unions protect their workers in circumstances where they clearly shouldn't be protected, they're looking after their own. Happens with Presbyterian ministers too. They look after their own. It can be quite a negative connotation. But David here in verse 3 reminds these men that God has set apart a people for himself. And this doesn't mean that bad things don't happen to God's people or his church. We've got to be clear about that. Just because God has set apart a people for himself doesn't mean that bad things don't happen. If that was the case, why is David experiencing what he's experiencing? God's people are not some special group exempt from trials or sufferings or hardships. Some of you know that as Christians. But rather, God in his mercy sets aside a people for himself. Did we deserve it? No. But by his grace, he first loved us. He chose us. And what we there for the praise of his glorious grace. But what we see in Scripture is God looking after his own. And so a prime example of this, because in a moment David will link this with prayer and God answering prayer. And, I, and again, I want to take us back to Exodus. When the people of God were enslaved in Egypt, they were oppressed and beaten down. What does the scripture tell us about how God relates to his chosen people? He says this, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of a land into a land flowing with milk and honey. God is concerned for his people because God has set apart a people for himself. And the same is true today. God sets apart the godly for himself. So that means those Christians who are innocently suffering in prison camps in North Korea, he has set apart for himself. He will hear their cries. He will look after them. For other things like how long, as David says, how long will this continue? Remember that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. When God's people are maligned, called bigots, told are haters of people, backward, not good for society, God will look after his own. God has set apart a people for himself. 
And David makes that link then, and he says, and he concludes, it's almost like he's trying to convince himself, know, that, know ye men that the Lord has set apart a people for himself. And then he says at the end of verse 3, do you see it? The Lord will hear when I call to him. Why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't the Lord hear the cries of his people when he has set them apart for himself? And David concludes this. It's a statement of confidence in God. It's not as if God is a disgruntled, bitter old man who needs to be appeased or kept happy. No, God loves to hear his people pray and engage him in prayer. And David's conclusion is, he set us apart. He will hear when I call out to him. Then David in verses 4 four and 5 says to his enemies, he says, in your anger, or a better translation will be tremble, do not sin when you're on your bed. Search your hearts and be silent. David is saying to them, God looks after his own. He set his own apart for himself. Tremble. Don't keep on sinning. Reflect and be silent on your beds. Offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. It's as if David is saying, repent. Come and offer this God the right sacrifices. Trust in him. These are remarkable verses from someone who is distressed speaking to his oppressors, aren't they? They're remarkable. You and I would come out fighting, wouldn't we? We would defend, we would try and relieve the distress, we would lie about things if we could in order to turn the tables. What David does is the total opposite. He speaks truth into them, hoping that they will turn and repent, and they are remarkable words. But they're in exactly the same vein, aren't they, as the Lord Jesus Christ with his enemies. When faced with oppression, when faced with lies and, and non-truth, Jesus responds in the very same way, encourages them, prays for them, tells them to repent. And I suppose David has been forgiven much in his life, hasn't he? And he extends that grace to those who are accusing him, hurting him, and he calls for them to detest from further sinning and to trust God. And this takes us to verses 6 to 8, where David, in these verses, if you see the difference in tone and the difference in movement in these verses, you will see that David's confidence is in verses 6 to 8. This man on, on the screen, hands up if you know who he is. Anyone? Anyone know? You've read loads of his books. Nobody. This is A.A. Millen. Alan Alexander Millen wrote the famous stories and adventures uh, of Winnie the Pooh. And one of Winnie the Pooh's uh, friends was the ever glum, half glass, empty type of person. Do you remember him? Eeyore? All right. And here at the verse 6, at the start, we have a couple of Eeyore-type characters, don't we? Because literally, and you can understand, literally in the middle of all this, they can go, who can show us any good? And I suppose it's understandable, these Eeyore characters, because men are turning reputation and glory into shame. Delusions and lies are loved and false gods are sought after. And they go, who can, who can show us any, any good? And it's interesting here that David's reply is an upbeat confidence that the Lord is with him. His reply is an abbreviated version of the ironic blessing that we often sing here in church. The fuller version goes like this, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. 
But in Psalm 4, David shortens it and he summarizes it to say this, let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. David's confidence is an awareness of the light of God's countenance. And that is what we all need in a situation like this, that awareness of God's presence and countenance looking upon us to assure us, to give us the grace needed to endure and keep trusting. And David says, who can show us any good? Lord, let the light, let your presence be amongst us so that we may be with you. This psalm, which is very interesting, never tells us if these men went away or whether they stopped their sinful actions. But all we know is that God's presence draws near his countenance. And in verse 7, David acknowledges that God has filled his heart with joy, greater than the grain and new wine. Probably at the end of this month, if you're working, you probably got paid. Sometimes it brings a little bit of joy, doesn't it, for the first hour until all the standing orders go out. And here it's the same. If you were in farming backgrounds, your payday was the grain and the wine harvest that came in, and it brought joy because you had something to eat or, or spend. And here David brings that kind of idea into how God has brought joy into his heart. David says that God has filled his heart with joy greater than when the grain and wine harvest are brought in. And what a contrast that is to verse 1, where David is hard-pressed in a tight corner looking for relief. But now, by the time we come to verse 7, it is God's presence and God's given joy that has filled David's life. Do you, do you see that movement in the psalm? That as he remembers who God is, as he challenges those who are his enemies, as it were, David's heart is almost like it's convincing himself, this is who God is. This is the way he will act. God, you've given me greater joy than the grain and wine harvest. And David concludes Psalm 4 with the following word of verse 8. Again, very similar to verse three, or Psalm 3. I will lie down and sleep in peace, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. If you've had your reputation slandered, if you've been questioned, again, there's very little sleep to be had, isn't it, as you work out, how am I going to defend myself? What am I going to do? How am I going to respond? And notice here that David says, I lie down and sleep in peace, for you, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Notice the contrast again here in verse 8 with that of verse 4. In verse 4, the men are on their beds and told, reflect, refrain from evil, try and be silent and search your hearts. And it's a picture of discord and unease, but contrast that with, with the godly. They lie down and sleep in peace. Why? Because they're trusting the Lord for a safe place. Craigie says this about the psalm, having opened his prayer with a sense of burden and oppression, the psalmist now closes with a sense of confidence and peace. This psalm tonight is for those who are suffering. You may be one of those tonight. For those who are oppressed, who are slandered, you may meet people tomorrow, this week, who are in that situation, in a tight corner, back against the wall. David appeals to God's character in prayer, knowing that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. He looks after his own, but also to take delight in the face that God's face is with them, shining on them, and God can fill your heart with joy and peace.
the challenge of all this is often to think God's thoughts after himself, <laughs> to think like this biblically, to have an understanding of God in such a way like David has, so that we may delight in God's countenance and presence with us, and that he may fill our hearts with joy and peace in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of having our backs against the wall. And may the Lord grant us that in this coming week, in the situations that we face. Let me pray for us as we continue in our service tonight. Father God, we thank you tonight for this psalm and its honesty and its understanding of who you are. And Father, tonight as we look at this passage, we just pray that you'll help us to meditate on it, to be blessed by your word, so that when either we're in this situation or facing it, or getting alongside others who are in the middle of being hard-pressed, backs against the wall, tight corner, where reputation has been torn down, where accusations fly. Father, we thank you for the reminder of appealing to you in prayer, to your character, to your righteousness, to your mercy. And Father, thank you tonight for reminding us that you have set apart a people for yourself. And help us to be encouraged by that, to pray to you, to have confidence that you hear our prayers. But Lord, also we ask that our greatest desire in the midst of suffering, whether that or having trials or hardship, is to know your presence and to be filled with your joy, to know that we dwell in a safe place because you are with us. Lord, help us to put these things that are in our minds into practice in our lives and our hearts so that we may respond in godly fashion and be blessed by you and your presence, we pray. Lord, be with each tonight. Be with those particularly, Lord, who are suffering, who are worried. And Father, for those on the reverse who are creating these things, we pray, Lord, for each of us. Help us not to be blind to our sin. Help us to search our hearts and to be silent, to repent, and to trust in you too. Father, be with us tonight and continue with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me conclude our service together by reading those words from Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 to 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.